evil. It's one o'clock and time for the services from the Calvary Baptist Church of Gainesville. Uh, so I want to take a look at David Sling uh, defeating a Philistine giant. Now this is probably the second most told story from the Old Testament for children. Probably the most told story is Noah and the Ark, I would think. Uh, David and Goliath is probably the second most told story. And we've all heard it, we know a lot about it, but I want to uh, present it in a different way today. I want to show you some of the archaeological discoveries and some of the, stu the other studies that have been done on some of the things pertaining to Goliath and his encounter with David. Uh, by the way, David's sling, if you keep up with the war in Gaza, uh, the Israeli military, the IDF, has a, an anti-missile missile that they call a system that they call David's sling. It's pretty remarkable. They also have one that they call Arrow. And by the way, their tank, which is probably the best in the world, is the Makava, which in Hebrew is chariot. So when you're studying the Bible, especially in times property prophecy, think about that. Well, let's get into this right quick. Um, I'll turn this on and then we will. Um, so this comes from 1 Samuel primarily, the 17th chapter. And I kind of summarized that there. He took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put him in his shepherd's bag. His sling was in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine. He reached in his bag. He took this stone, slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. We all know the story. And, of course, the minimalists say, well, that never really happened. That couldn't have happened or whatever. Well, first of all, Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines are the greatest enemies, the greatest nemesis that the ancient Hebrews had. The word Philistine appears in the Old Testament 247 times, but it appears in the New Testament absolutely zero. There's a reason for that. So this is an ancient drawing of what they said the uh, the Philistines looked like. Now, the Philistines had been around for a while. They had attacked Egypt, and Egypt had another word for them, which meant sea peoples, which is interesting. They were sea peoples. And by the way, the Philistines settled what is today the western shore of Israel along the Mediterranean, and they had strongholds there. Gath, which was the home of Goliath, Askadad, uh, Gaza. Gaza was a stronghold of the Philistines, where they're fighting today against Hamas. And uh, so recently in Ascalon, they discovered the skeletal remains of a bunch of Philistines in the graveyard. They were able to place the burials between 1200 and 900 B.C., which is the key time that Israel was having these problems with them because that was around the time, around 1,000, that David was king of Israel. Uh, they found, interestingly, that they buried their children in clay coffins under houses. And they, so they did a lot of extensive testing. Here's some of the photographs of the archaeologists uncovering some of the skeletal remains of the Philistines. And uh, so here's a headline from 19. Ancient DNA sheds new light on the biblical Philistines. So now, because isn't it remarkable? Now because of DNA, uh, we can tell where the Philistines came from and who they were. And that's what this is about. There's some more of the excavation of the graves. That one there, he had, they laid a pot on his head. He apparently was uh, some special person, and that was some ritual. They put the pot there when they buried him. There's where they found one with some copper 
bracelets on. As you can see, they've turned all green there over the probably uh, uh, 2,000 or uh, 3,000 years. Uh, so they did this testing, and what did they find out? Well, uh, they found out that uh, they came from southern Europe, the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are distinctive from all these other tribes that you read about in Canaan. They're distinctive. They look different. They were different, and here's why. So it goes on to tell us that there are better matches from Crete. The island of Crete is where the Philistines apparently came from. And so here's the Bible's exactness. It says in Jeremiah 47, 4, because of the day that comes to spoil all the Philistines, for the Lord will spoil the Philistines, the remnant of the country of Kaphtor. This goes all the way back to Jeremiah, and Kaphtor is Hebrew for Crete. So we already knew they were from Crete, but the DNA testing made it more interesting. Well, and so it fulfilled the prophecy. God said he would destroy them, and they were destroyed by the Babylonians in 604 B.C. There is no evidence now, as they do all this DNA testing, there's no evidence of Philistine DNA. It's gone, not in Israel. So now we move on to the Philistine Goliath that we read about. It tells us in the King James that he was six cubits in a span. And uh, this is the only person in the Bible whose height is given. It's the only one, is Goliath. And so the Holy Spirit, as he inspired the writing, uh, had a reason for that. And this is how they arrive at a cubit. From the end of the tip of the finger to the elbow is a cubit. So it's going to vary a little bit. And a span is the distance from the little finger to the thumb. And that's how they came up with their measurements. So uh, according to the King James Bible, Goliath was nine foot nine inches tall. But they've done some more research. And the key piece of information that he wasn't quite that tall, that he was four cubits in the span, comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls in Samuel manuscript. It's the oldest manuscript that we have of Samuel. Samuel and it says in the Paleo-Hebrew that he was four cubits in the span. Now let's look at that. So they did this project as they have excavated Gath. They found all this evidence, uh, archaeological evidence of Gath, the hometown of Goliath, uh, how they built their gates, how they built their walls. And so from that, they did a study trying to determine what a span and a cubit was for the uh, people of Gath, the Philistines. And as you see here, uh, the uh, cubit was uh, 21.26 inches. The span was 8.66 inches. Now what that means is, and there's uh, Gath and the walls, this is where they got their measurements, where they came up with a cubit, uh, because that's, how, that's what they used for a cubit. And so we know the exact measurement. And so how tall was Goliath? He was seven foot nine and a half inches, we believe. And I will demonstrate that for you with this piece of PVC. He's about that tall. He'd be scary, wouldn't he? Now, the other thing about the, uh, the Philistines and the Philistine warriors, they wore armor. The Bible tells us all about Goliath's armor. He had a tremendous amount of it. It was heavy stuff because he's a massive man. They also wore high headdresses. And that was to make them look even bigger. So if you ran across a man who was that tall and he's armored up and armed with uh, spears, uh, he had a, uh, a spear and uh, so forth, be pretty intimidating. And probably because of his size, he had a very deep voice and he was profane and all that. Let me put this down here where it don't trip over it, maybe. 
So uh, that gives us some idea, uh, a better idea, I think, of uh, the height of Goliath. So moving on to, that, on to the slingers, which is what David was. They were as effective as good archers. They could practice with targets at 200 yards. They hurled 445 yards or a quarter of a mile. That is throwing a rock. They could penetrate leather armor and traveled in excess of 60 miles an hour. Now, they've done further studies that shows that they could sling them at 100 miles an hour. Now, I want to tell you something. If you read about what's going on in Israel and you read about the Palestinian attacks on the, on the Is Israelis and it says that they threw stones, they'll go out on the highway, along the highways, and they'll ambush the Israelis and throw stones. But they're throwing them with slings. It's not with their hand. They throw them with slings at 80 or 100 miles an hour. They go through windshields, so they kill people. So next time you read that, think of a sling and how much more dangerous and effective it is. It goes all the way back to 1178 B.C. and the Egyptians, and that's the best drawing we have, but there are two ways, and by the way, here is a sling. Uh, this was made by a fine fellow out in Arkansas. This didn't come from Israel. And uh, what they would do was it has a loop because you don't want to sling it away. So you hook it over your finger, you load it up, which I'm not going to do. I've been cautious, cautioned by several people not to put a stone in here today. They won't lose the windows, and they sling it. And sometimes they sling it horizontally over their head. Sometimes they sling it vertically. So it just depends on what they prefer to do. Here we have an example of the Egyptians using a horizontal sling. They would put them in the mass, the rigging of their ships, kind of like we do Marines or did Marines in years past and they would sling those stones at the enemy and other ships alongside them or close to them. And uh, it, it goes back that far. And then the Assyrians in 701 who took Lachish, the Assyrians, by the way, were some of the most brutal people that ever lived. They'd rival Hamas. Uh, they did the same things to people that, that Hamas did on October the 7th. And so this shows you a, a relief of them uh, slinging vertically. And there's a bunch of them. So in a military unit at that time, just like we do today, we have people specialized. Uh, Frankie specialized in artillery and fires off some of the missiles that they gave him a chance. Uh, you have the different units that support each other. And here they had the slingers that they used. This picture, the sling, by the way, uh, was, was a sling that was discovered in, uh, by archaeologists in Egypt that's about 3,500 years old. Is still intact. It's made out of cotton, cotton twine. And so, as I demonstrated there, it has the loop to hold on your finger when you release it, and so on. It has some small sling stones. So here's what the Bible says about it. In Judges, it says that uh, the Benjaminites, they could rally 26,000 armed men. That's a pretty good-sized army. Uh, 700 choice men who were left-handed among all these people and could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now, that's pretty accurate. And uh, it's in the Bible, so it's got to be true. <laughs> they, they were that good, and they were left-handed. Uh, I don't know if left-handed uh, slingers are better than right-handed or not. And here's another one in 2 Kings. Uh, this is where the Hebrews uh, were going through the land and destroying the Canaanite city, cities and vi vi villages, if I can say it. And here it says that they destroyed the cities. They destroyed their farmland. That's happening in Gaza, by the way. Uh, it's happening in southern Lebanon. 
And uh, on, these were the only ones left in his building. So men with slings surrounded the city and attacked him. So they would sling the stones at the people, the soldiers, and they would also tear down their infrastructure with it like we do with artillery and missiles and so on. And then they had remarkable skill. They were armed with bows, First Chronicles. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of the bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. The Benjaminites, by the way, in Israel today, the southern kingdom of Judah, and Israel today, the vast majority of Israelis descended from Judah and Benjamin. And uh, they are pretty good militarily, if you pay attention to that. And so it was a homemade device. So David would have woven his own sling that he used. He would probably, in his case, have used wool because he was a shepherd and he had access to that material and would have known how to do it. And so, uh, this, by the way, this information comes from... Uh, uh, biblical Archaeology Review, in which they've done a lot of studies, most of these studies on this. If you're interested in that, you can find their website and, and so on. And so uh, it tells us how he used it. There's another photograph of an original one from close to that time. And then here's an artist's uh, view of, of David approaching King Saul because Goliath is terrorizing Saul's army if you read it, you'll find that he went out for 40 days, Goliath did, and challenged him, called them cowards, and come on out here. Come on out here and fight me, you bunch of cowards, weaklings. Uh, he was a very intimidating man. 40 days always represents testing and trials. And so there's a reason that the Bible tells us he did that for 40 days. So Saul was skeptical, of course. And uh, some, some teachers say, well, he was skeptical of David's ability because David was just a boy and he was small. David was not a little boy. David was, as I like to call a big fella, a hoss because he'd been living outside most of his adult life. He was a slinger. He'd killed bears and lions with his sling. Uh, this was a highly skilled, very tough. Uh, he was a young man, but he was, he was no weakling. And uh, so he had to understand or underestimate Goliath underestimated his opponent. And so David couldn't wear King Saul's armor. It was too heavy. It was too cumbersome. He'd never worn it before. He didn't know how to use it. you got to train with whatever you use. And uh, so uh, he took his sling. That's what he knew. That's what he was highly skilled at. And he said, I'm going to go out there, and this is he's defying God and defying God's army, and I'm going to go out there and do something about it. Well, they were skeptical, but he finally wound up going out there. So Goliath derided him when he saw him. He was offended. You're going to send a boy out here to fight me with a sling? And he said to David, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds, boy. And uh, David said, no, you don't know who you're messing with now. Uh, it's my God that's brought me out here. So many people believe that slingers were looked down on by more powerful military men such as Goliath who fought close combat with edged weapons. And so his disdain for David may have had a lot to do with the fact that he was only armed with a sling. But my, did he underestimate, it, underestimate him, and here's why. So uh, near Jerusalem, they've done these digs uh, where the tribe of Benjamin lived and so forth, and they've come up with all these sling stones, great numbers of them. And uh, there's what uh, some of them look like. Now, they vary 
in how they look. They're different shapes, and they knew how to make them aerodynamic. That's what David was doing when he stopped in the creek bed to pick up his five stones. They had been run over with water. They were smooth, and they were round, and he selected them. He knew what to look for. He was an expert. And here's another photograph of piles of those sling stones in the area where the Benjaminites slung them left-handedly. And then this one is this one. As you see, that weighs about a pound. It's limestone. Uh, that came from Israel. It's about 3,000 years old. It's been authenticated by the Israel Antiquities Authority. I gave a good bit of money for it. And uh, that's uh, that give you some idea how big it is. I put that up there because I figured you couldn't see it very well in the back. But imagine that thing coming at you at 80 miles an hour. It would do you in. No question. Shatter your skull. And uh, so, by the way, the Israel Antiquities Authority, they not only uh, authenticate these, but they have to approve their shipment out of the country. So it took me a while to get that because they had to approve me having that. So that's a, that's a sling stone. So, as uh, it, the Bible tells us, that David approached him and began to, he loaded his sling, he began to spin, twirl his sling, and Goliath was still derisive. I'm going to feed you to the birds, boys, he's saying. Now, this is a quote from the writer, the, the author of Edged in Stone, which is a Christian woman, and she states there that the archaeological research shows the Bible narrative to be feasible. Well, we know that it's right by faith, but the world doesn't. The world rejects it, but they will look at scientific and archaeological evidence. And so it's pretty obvious that what happened there that the Bible tells us about is what happened. But there are other aspects of that. Now, they gathered their forces at Sokoth in Judah, the Philistines did, and then the Israelites uh, encamped on a rise on the other side of the valley. And uh, they were standing on one hill, the Israelites standing on another hill with a ravine between them, and that's when uh, they sent out Goliath, their champion. And here's the place in Israel. We know exactly where it was because of archaeology and, and history. Uh, you see where Saul's camp was there on the left and, and uh, the Philistines' camp was there on the right on those rises. Always militarily, you take the high ground if you can. Always take the high ground. And that's what they did here. And there's a photograph of those two places in the valley between them because that's where David crossed uh, on his way to meet Goliath. And as he crossed there, he crossed this brook. Now, this is a wadi. It dries up in the dry season. And we don't know for certain whether there was water in that brook or whether it was dry, but it makes sense that if it was dry, that made it so much easier for David to select his stones out of the creek bed. But be that as it may, he selected them, and he selected five. And the, the belief is that he knew about Goliath's four brothers, who was as big and mean as he was. And he thought he's going to have to kill them. Eventually, his... his uh, Mighty men did kill them. And so it tells us there in Samuel 1740, chose that smooth stone from his shepherd's bag and had his sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And there's another photograph of the wadi where David would have crossed. Wherever he crossed it, he crossed that wadi 
going to Goliath. And that's where he picked up his stones, somewhere there. And so uh, the thing about him choosing the five smooth stones was what we talked about. He had enough knowledge and skill with that sling and knowing what kind of ammunition he needed uh, that he selected exactly what he needed. And he didn't, it turned out he didn't need but one. So here's something that, to think about. Goliath, as powerful and as mean and as ugly and evil as he was, uh, the best weapon that he had was a lance. And the range of that lance was only as far as he could throw it. Now, he probably could throw it a good ways, but he couldn't throw it anywhere near as far as David could sling that stone. And so it appears, as if you go back and read this and think about it, that Goliath is trying to entice him closer because he knows he can't kill him at that range. And David knows he can't. And David knows he can sling that stone from that distance. And he does. Now, here's another thing. According to the Roman historian Livy, he says that slingers would wound not merely the heads of their enemies, but any part of the face at which they aimed. That's how skilled they were, just like hitting the hair of the Benjaminites. So David, he was, Goliath is wearing a big helmet, a big bronze helmet to protect his head. But his face and his forehead was exposed. And so David, in his highly skilled way, selected his forehead to plant that stone. Remarkable. Now, we know that God guided him. And here's something to think about. You hear people say, well, God guided that stone. Yes, he did. But you know where he started guiding that stone? When David was first learning to sling. God was preparing him. He prepares us. If he gives us something to do, he prepares us well in advance to do that. And he prepared David to sling that stone and kill Goliath that day by going all the way back to his training and his practice and his practice on lions and bears. I'll give you a quick example of that in my own life. I believe that when I was saved, that the Holy Spirit gifted me with an ability to speak and teach. But when I got saved... I couldn't have stood up here. I'd been hiding behind this thing. I was a bashful, backward, dumb kid. And over the years, starting when I was 15 years old, when I was saved, I look back now and I see how the Holy Spirit began to prepare me in ways that I never imagined. And one of the ways was I had a mentor in the police department. He came to me one day and he said, you know, we're going to have uh, instructor training here. And it never crossed my mind. He said, I think you ought to go. He was one of my mentors and trainers. And he said, you have a gift of gab. You need to go. And I never thought about that. But all those steps along the way was God preparing me. So when we look at David and that stone hitting Goliath in the forehead so perfectly, yes, God guided it. But he didn't have to do anything necessarily that day that he had not already taken care of in David's training and ability. It's remarkable. And so he uh, put that stone in Goliath's forehead. And here's where another first century doctor said it's better to be wounded by a sharp weapon than a blunt one. He understood in his day, over a thousand years ago, he understood that if you get a head injury, a brain injury, that's it for you. If you get cut or stabbed, you might survive and heal up, but not if they crack your skull and damage your brain. That's what he's talking about. 
the centrifugal force of that sling. And the longer the sling, of course, the more force, the more centrifugal force. David must have had a pretty good size one. So I done covered that about the javelin or the lance. And so David, no doubt, knew the range. And he knew his reach. And so there's so much more that goes into this as we learn these things. And this is one of the great advantages we have today with our modern archaeology and technology that we can learn about these things. And there's a, another artist's rendition. Shows him across the brook there, slinging from a good distance. So, a summation. This writer says, this researcher, in light of these observations, we can best understand the biblical story of a shepherd's skill with a sling who defeated a highly trained Philistine warrior. Goliath wore armor and was limited by the range of his javelin, and he expressed disdain for his unarmed, simply armed foe. Unarmored, simply armed foe. David bore a simple sling and used rounded stones from the nearby uh, stream bed for his ammunition. And so Goliath, to his chagrin and his eternal punishment, underestimated the shepherd boy that God sent. So God is not mocked, the Bible tells us. David's sling provided the decisive advantage of staying out of range of his opponent's weapons while allowing him to hit Goliath in the forehead with enough force to penetrate his skull. And so he could take down the giant, finish him off with his own sword, thereby winning the battle. So that tells us that the stone didn't kill him. Uh, the stone severely wounded him and injured him and uh, incapacitated him. They didn't kill him. David finished him off with his own sword. And by the way, I, uh, I'm, I've done finished up early here, but something else fascinating about that that I'll throw in is that David, when he beheaded Goliath with his own sword, he, David took that sword and he took Goliath's head. The Bible tells us that. And he carried Goliath's head to King Saul held it up and said, King Saul, uh, thank you for letting me handle this, this task. And then the Bible tells us that David took that head of Goliath to Jerusalem. So ask yourself the question, why did David take Goliath's head to Jerusalem? Well, most people think he buried it there at a chosen place. Jerusalem wasn't much in David's day 3,000 years ago. And they think the place that he buried Goliath's head was Golgotha. And they think that when Jesus hung on the cross, because Goliath is a type of Satan, the old dragon, the old snake, the old serpent, and that when Jesus hung on the cross, lifted up Goliath's head, which represented the head of Satan that he crushed, was buried somewhere near him. Is that so? We don't know. But the Bible tells us that he took his head to Jerusalem, and there's a reason for that. So uh, there's so many treasures in the Word of God, so many things to learn. You can learn it all your life, study it all your life, and you'll not scratch the surface. Author Pink, who wrote the book Seven Sayings from the Cross, among others, he's quoted in there as saying, Oh, the cross, 
We can never know the end of it. We can't. If throughout eternity and glory, we're going to be learning the lessons of the cross, and we'll never learn it all. That's something to think about. And so here we have a picture of David, who's a type of Christ, Goliath, who's a type of Satan. And David, as God had promised the serpent in, the, in Eden, he crushed his head. He didn't manage to bruise David's heel, but David crushed Goliath's head and took it. Appreciate all of you coming today. I appreciate the opportunity to share. I hope that, uh, what I hope that does is inspire you to say, wait a minute, and either challenge me on something or study and, and see if it opens up for you. Uh, when I was privileged to uh, go to Jerusalem in, in 14, and I was privileged to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and there is Calvary, and I believe it's Calvary. I've done a lot of study on that. People who are wiser than I say it is. And not far from that is the tomb. The first thing I did when I got back home, not the first thing, but one of the things I did quickly when I got back home was to open up the Gospels and read them again, especially about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it opened up a whole new world for me uh, as I tried to grasp that and understand that. So... Uh, I encourage you to study. Don't be afraid that you're going to come across something that might challenge something you believe. You may come across something that will challenge something you believe, some minor thing. But we don't know everything, and we're not right 100% of the time. And so if we can continue to learn, continue to study, continue to look and learn, we can learn about these marvelous things. Thank you so much for listening to the services from Calvary Baptist Church. To hear more of this sermon or other past services, please visit our website, calvarybcgainesville.org. 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.